turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The Innovators Network. Kim McNicholas on Innovation. Spotlighting successful entrepreneurs, innovators, investors, and industry experts. Their stories and insights can help you become better informed, better educated, and a better investor. Your host is Emmy Award-winning anchor, reporter, and writer Kim McNicholas. Kim has been a journalist at Forbes magazine, a Fox News Channel contributor, vetted more than 3,000 startups, and has been a mentor for entrepreneurs around the globe. Now, Kim McNicholas on innovation. Capitalizing on what's not being used is big business in Silicon Valley. Surfair, the subscription-based airline, capitalizes on the abundance of available runways at small airports across California. Uber, the ride-sharing service, capitalizes on the available black cars when the chauffeurs are not serving private clients. And now the St. Francis Riding Club is capitalizing on available horses when no one is riding them. And before we talk to founder and CEO Ani Ravati, let me paint the picture for you. Did you know that more than 100,000 horses are needlessly slaughtered every single year, either here in the United States or they're transported from the United States to Mexico or Canada for slaughter? The USDA has documented that more than 92% of those horses are in good condition and could be rehomed. But more often than not, kill buyers outbid legitimate horse owners and rescues at auctions, robbing those horses of having a second chance at life. Why are horses sold? Well, they're unwanted for a variety of reasons, whether it's simply that an owner can't take care of them because of financial, emotional um, or whatever reason, or simply due to a lack of convenience or interest. Now, some estimate that there is an overpopulation of these unwanted horses at nearly 200,000, and they're crowding the rescues, and about half of those are going to get slaughtered. But not if Ani Rivati has her way. Welcome, Ani. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. She is a former U.S. equestrian champion in dressage, and she is now the CEO and founder of the St. Francis Riding Club. Ani and I have known each other uh, for a very long time, we'll just say, <laughs> and we'll get more into the history, our history together and you know your career and her career leading up to this point in a little bit. But because this is a serious issue that we're talking about that you're trying to solve and seriously saving lives, let's really dive right in here and First, why don't you give us the 25 cent cent version of what you've created, and then we'll get into the details later. Well, I I created the place I want to go riding, and I've, like you said, I've always been in the industry as an equestrian, and at uh, got a little older, and I want the convenience of a clean, beautifully trained horse available to me for riding when I want it available, and when I'm done riding. I want to relax. I don't want to have to clean the horse, clean the stalls. So that's what I've come up with, the riding club where the horse is convenient to the member. And obviously, you know, as I was mentioning before, there's a serious issue facing 
um, horses. And it's, it's an issue that's near and dear to your heart. Can you explain? It is, Kim. It, uh, it's heartache. It, I've um, been in this industry for the last 35 years. and I'm a legacy in the industry. My mother was in the industry. And I can't tell you what it's like to see horses, healthy young horses being destroyed and sold per pound. Uh. 87 cents a pound is today's market value for horse meat. And that's because somebody didn't want them and didn't know how to repurpose um, that beautiful horse. So they sold them at slaughter. Is there an issue with a disconnect between people and, and horses and that's causing some of this? You know, a lot of people buy the horse thinking of the fantasy of running along the beach, of dressing up in a little outfit and jumping over hedges. That doesn't happen to everybody. So when the reality hits you that this is a very large animal that needs thousands of dollars a month in care. and On average, it, what, about 3000 just 3, nationwide, yes. but probably more here in the Bay Area? Oh, yes. You can pay up to, I mean, we have some of the most beautiful stables in the world. Um, and people, it's a very daunting process for people to say, I'm not getting any enjoyment out of this, or the fantasy didn't happen for them. Another thing, Kim, is, and I have to mention, people buying children horses. Mm. If I had my druthers, it would be like children under 18 couldn't own a horse. Because as a child skills and, and grow, they need another horse. So they sell the old one or they pasture the old one. The child skills get better. They need another horse. We call it leveling up. And what that's for kids that, that are serious about riding in competition and such. Right, or just for pleasure. Their parents say, oh, they need another horse. And they give very little consideration to the value and love of the first horse. And that horse often ends up in one of our slaughter auctions here in California. Do they look at the the horses as just a tool or do, I mean, it it sounds as though, I mean, the horses, what is their mentality? Because they're almost like dogs. They really take, they they really, really create a bond with the family. And so when they're just shuttled from one place to another, I don't think that people really consider them a real pet because they're not within the home. They don't. And people who love horses will tell you differently. They will move heaven and earth to support their horse, love their horse. But the disconnect comes from um, the inconvenience of it being an animal that needs management, needs a stall cleaned, needs to be housed somewhere. It has wants and needs, but they are like dogs and, and cats in the sense that there's no greater love. There's really no greater love. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to take um, – because you, it's really – people actually do love horses. I, and I mean, I love horses. I've never had a horse myself. I've never been around horses that much. But when I see them, I just am so in awe of them. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to say, hey, let's take all of the things that make a horse um, – uninviting away. That's right. So I'm saying here, you just have to show up, get out of your car, maybe change into your boots and breeches. And one of our grooms hands you your horse and you can go to your lesson or go ride the trails. You don't have to groom it. No cleaning, no running back and forth. Just get on and ride and enjoy yourself and have the fantasy part of it without having the horror part of it. Um, and our horses are all extremely well-trained, tra- world-class, happy creatures. Uh, they are clean. They actually shine. They're bred, well-bred and incredibly healthy. 
we keep them in large stalls. Um, they're blanketed every day, and they have each other to hang out with and pasture. It's really a great life. And I see to that. So it's it's almost it's it's almost like a fractional ownership in a sense. Or would you exactly. consider it more like a subscription? Exactly. So that you pay a monthly fee. You you're entitled to two lessons a week and a solo ride, or you can solo ride three times a week, depending on your skill level and your confidence. So you basically, you can take BART to San Bruno, take an Uber over to Pacifica. It's about 15 minutes from downtown San Francisco if you drive, and you just show up. You can schedule your appointment on our website or call, and your horse is ready, and your trainer's in the arena. So you always have fun, and you always have a resource. So walk us through the process of how you came up with the St. Francis Riding Club. What was your thinking behind it? Can you give us those dots that you ultimately connected to create this marketplace? Or in a sense, well, a matchmaking service. I, exactly. And I've been in this industry, Kim, for 30 years. I owned a riding, I owned four riding academies, very successful ones here in Silicon Valley. And I came up with this because I wanted to have people enjoy the horses without having to recycle them somewhere. So I thought in my head, what do I want to do with the horses? And that's what I came up with. I also had, um, re- I had accessibility to some great horses who were well-trained, and I was the only one enjoying them. And I wanted to have this atmosphere where every culture on the planet is a horse culture. Hun- you know, every country is a horse country. It doesn't matter, you know, your walk of life, what you do for a living. Something inside you wants to be with a horse. I want to bring you into that kindly, carefully, and intelligently so that you get to experience the love, the peace, the friendship, and the camaraderie of the barn instead of having to deal with all the uh, vet bills and shoeing bills and getting bucked off. This way you go into this eyes open and you get to have a good time with a great animal. And while Ani Ravati is democratizing access to horses coming up, she will also offer, offer some tangible, actionable advice for you on how to spot opportunities for capitalizing on what's available and guaranteed it's everywhere. So stay with us. You don't want to miss that. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Horses are some of the most majestic animals on the planet, and they're being slaughtered at an alarming rate simply because they're not wanted anymore. But according to the USDA, most are in good health and could live productive lives. But due to a high cost of upkeep or someone loses interest in riding or levels up or, you know, any of many reasons, you know, they end up getting slaughtered. When you compare the number of horses that are slaughtered compared to the 2.7 million dogs and cats, though, that are euthanized each year due to overcrowding of shelters, some critics might say you know, Ani Ravati, who is the founder and CEO of a brand new riding club in the San Francisco Bay Area called the St. Francis Riding Club. Ani, you know, some people may say, well, why worry about 100,000 horses that are slaughtered? That's a small number in comparison to the cats and dogs, right? Well, Kim, money is motivating the slaughter of these horses. You see, the, there are markets that sell horse meat for up to $29 per pound. And the auction uh, middlemen, people who buy the horses at auction, then torture the Mm. animals before they're slaughtered. So the horse is then crowded into a stock trailer, not a fancy horse trailer, and it's shipped somewhere. Because here in the state of California, 
we don't we don't kill horses for meat. So the horses have to go to Texas, which is about an 18 to 20 hour trip, or they are Arizona, or they have to go to Mexico to be killed. Mm. So the animals break legs in these trailers. They suffocate. They trample each other. It is um, and money motivates this. Dog meat has no value here in the United States. Horse meat has value. So these horses are killed for profit. Wow. That's the outrage. But I don't even know if it, do the owners actually know that this is happening or do they think they're sensibly euthanized? You know, you make a very good point, Kim. A lot of owners don't know where the, their sale horse ends up. Unscrupulous meat buyers will, will pose as a horseman to buy somebody's horse cheaply mm. when in actuality gotcha. he takes it to the auction the next day. Um, so these are things people don't know. And um, this is when I say that I had a lot of heartache from this in, this industry. And now you're creating um, a business that is hoping to uh, start right here in Silicon Valley and possibly scale across the nation to save these unwanted horses and democratize the access to these horses so that they're they're now wanted, they're now affordable. And Kim, not all of them are usable. I um, I have highly trained horses that are that still have value, and they're very healthy. And I'm lucky. The horses I purchase, uh, I have the background to tell a good horse, even if it was inexpensive. I also have the skill to train it, so that someone like you, who has no experience with horses, can get on its back and ride it safely. So I'm I, I'm I'm not the norm. Um, very few people have those skills. At horse rescues, people who rescue horses don't have the skill to retrain them, rehabilitate their health. So that's what happens. At the St. Francis Riding Club, we have these, these great show horses that gone onto a slaughter truck <laughs> oh, wow. for all intents and purposes. And so for $500, $800 a month, you're offering kind of that subscription service where people don't have to, they can say, hey, you know what, I own a whole group of horses. That's right. That's right. Maybe you want to ride stock seat or Western. Maybe you'd like to learn to jump. Maybe you'd like to learn dressage, which is a martial art. You get to explore all those things. There's no limit because I have the horse for you to ride. I'm the instructor who can teach you all three disciplines. And I'm an accredited instructor with the American Riding Instructors Association. I also have an undergrad degree in animal welfare and behavior. And so when they go to this riding club, your vision is to create, you know, just like you have a, a club around um, yachts, like the San Francis, San Francis Yacht Club, where <laughs> people go sailing together and they gather in a spot to not only go sail, but also to gather around with people who also love to sail and share that passion for it. Not that they're going to go out on a boat in that moment, but to be able to sit and have coffee with and have a drink with or watch other people, uh, you know, sail or kiteboard or something right. out there it's the best networking the best social hour you'll ever have because there's nothing like sharing your passion when you share your passion at the barn you, you can watch others ride you can learn from their their lesson you can take the horse out for a, you know, some grass and you can go to, onto the trails with a group of people that's a lot of fun and there's a, there's a sense of camaraderie um, have a coffee have a beer hang out even you can even indulge your Game of Thrones fantasy. <laughs> That's really you, popular here. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to role play, HBO's Westworld is a very, you know, horse-oriented, horse-centric production. Uh, Vikings, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead. I want you to 
to don't go to Comic-Con, indulge your, your, your horse fantasy, become your favorite character on horseback. I can get you there. And that's the fun of it. And nobody's going to judge you. And you've actually had someone come out there and say, hey, I want to be this person from this show. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or I really, I'm curious about horses because they like the, this character from um, the new Westworld. It was a man in black. Mm-hmm. And I teaching him how to ride Western so that he can be that cowboy, that sinister cowboy. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and it's, it's not- really popular here in Silicon Valley, whether or not people realize it, um, it's a great place to meet the who's who of Silicon Valley. And many times I've talked about kiteboarding being the new golf. I really think that horseback riding is the silent success to networking because right. there's so many people that if you start asking questions, they own horses, they um, you know ride themselves. And it's some of the Fortune 100 executives – are involved. I think a couple of them were um, were your students too. That's right. And also, you think of the the local sports celebrities. Joe Montana is a fabulous rider, and yes, his he wife is. jumps. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, and she's one of the and Jennifer Kella O'Neill is her trainer, and she's a she's a very elegant rider. And you go to this if you go to the Woodside Horse Shows. It's called Woodside Summer at CETA. You'll see the who's who of sports celebrities, film celebrities, and of course. Our Silicon Valley giants are there. They own some of the stables that are, are in, in magazines because they're so glorious. And believe me, their horses don't end up in slaughter. They've got the property to retire their horses. And they, you know, for the most part, they think that way. And so it's a great community, and it's a lot of fun. With such a, a great community of venture capitalists as well that I know of that <laughs> all have horses, and even their kids are into riding, what was right. it like fundraising for this? Well, it was funny because um, the the specific VC who who was really backing me, um, they're his horses I was caring for, and so he knew how much I loved them, and that they were foremost on my brain every day. So I think when it came down to this idea, if it had been a bad idea, he would have told me. But when he saw the idea, he nodded his head. And that's a big deal from a VC like him. And you have multiple revenue streams. And that's very rare when it comes to startups and so brilliant to hedge your bets. Well, you also have to think that I, you know me personally, Kim, and if this wasn't going to be profitable year one, I wasn't going to do it. That's true. And I think that's, that's something, that's the confidence I had going in and taking money from an outside source because I could, it was going to be self-sustainable. And I needed, you know, I needed some things to make it more ambient and and easier on my clients and my staff. So, so it's one thing to have an idea, you know, to create this type of marketplace. But what has prepared you for the moment to create a successful, this actual moment to create a successful business? Well, you understand, I had this in the back of my mind now for many years. But when I'm the facility. In Pacifica, it's called Sweeney Ridge. It's at 650 Cape Breton. It had a covered arena, beautiful, large, dry barns. And I, I knew that the idea I had been cooking for years would work here. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got very confident with it and started writing the business plan. 
and doing the what-if scenarios, not in my head but on paper, and then doing the numbers. So before I even broached the subject and, and submitted this business plan to the landowner, um, who's also you know, very positive about this, this uh, venture, I had it down chapter and verse. So and I think that's the advice. Yep, that's so important, especially if you um, are looking to capitalize on on some of the um, what you would consider abundance in many different areas. Is really sitting down and putting together a business plan first, seeing if there is exactly. a business there. Exactly. Thank you so much, Ani Ravati, the founder and CEO of the St. Francis Riding Club. Where can people get more information? I mean, this is literally, we're on the on the verge of this. We're the first to report this. You're the first to hear about Thank this. You. I'm really excited. You don't even have your site up yet. So where can they it, get more information? By Monday, you can get the information at sfridingclub.com or friend us on Facebook. We're the St. Francis Riding Club. Good luck to you, Ani. I'm really excited to get out there to ride. Really appreciate it. I am so excited about what you're doing, and I wish you the best in saving so many horses across the United States. Well, coming up next, stay tuned for our The Edge series for another company that could help your business be more cost-effective, efficient, and safe. So stay with us. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show and to our The Edge series, where we feature companies that are helping other companies be more effective, efficient, and safe through their software and services. And today we are featuring StorageCraft, which has developed backup and disaster recovery solutions. It's a Utah-based company that this week, actually just last night, announced that they're buying Silicon Valley-based Exablocks, a storage hardware and software maker. So I can imagine Matt Medeiros, CEO of StorageCraft, you now cover first and second tier storage for companies. You're pretty much a one-stop shop these days. Kim, that's right. Uh, you know, we, we certainly are a one-stop shop for your storage data management, right? The essential part of the IT fabric for businesses, regardless of uh, business size. And so, and that's really with that acquisition, Correct. That's right. You see, we, we experienced with, in talking with our customers that there's a blurring of lines between primary storage and secondary storage. Mm. Customers really want, and they've been very clear with us, that they want to use both actively, right? They want better visibility in their data pools. They want, to clear, they want clear insurances that the most critical data is protected and recoverable in case of a digital disaster or a human mistake. And you have lots of competition, though, in this space. Is... Is this what you would, would really set you apart possibly from other backup and disaster recovery solutions companies such as Axient, which is based in Mountain View? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what really sets us apart is to be able to demonstrate and truly define ourselves based on legendary recovery, right? The ability to truly do what we promise, and that is to recover effectively and very, very quickly uh, a digital uh, failure, right? That is, in fact, the most important thing that a business owner or a business leader wants to know that they're getting from us, and we can competitively we can show you that it is competitively different uh, from storage craft. Now with Exablocks, though, we get to start to deliver on converged storage. Right again, the notion that primary and secondary storages are, are just converging, um, and and what we're going to be able to do with that now is to really treat all data as not equal. Right. Mm-hmm. Businesses have always had that view. Not all data is equal, right? I have high, medium, and low data. 
What they want is they want to be able to protect, actively use their high data, the things that really drive a business in a much better way than the traditional means of having primary data and having secondary data. Secondary data often is just set it and forget it data. Right. So I have a digital disaster. I just leave it alone. And when it, when it comes to storage, if you're storing in the cloud already, then why would you need to back up in disaster and disaster recovery services from a company like yours? I'm guessing it backs up an entire network in its current form, meaning you create a virtual workspace that is an exact replica of a company's workspace. So let's say there's a fire and everything within the company is despro- destroyed. Employees can log into your service and it would look exactly as it is normally or as it would at their desk. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. We store a great deal of our customers' critical data in our cloud, right? So we've embraced the cloud fully, and I think most businesses have embraced cloud storage, right? Mm -hmm. But I think what's really important is that people recognize that there's a difference between these different types of cloud services. Most often, it's about how can you access that data? How can I recover that data from that cloud provider? Right? That's what separates the difference. And again, business leaders are saying, I want to be active with that data. So right. I don't want to just set it and forget it. And also, it's, I was talking to the CEO of a company called Spirian, which looks for vulnerabilities within organizations that could be hacked, you know, that sensitive information that you may not even know that's there. And what she was, and this actually could solve that issue where you have too many duplications of very sensitive data that you're saying that with what you're doing with the convergence with exablocks, that it's all going to be in one spot. That's correct. It it, it can be in multiple spots, but it's going to be one set of data Mm. with an understanding, a mapping of what's most important mid-important, low-important. So let's talk about the benefits of the acquisition and what really went into the de- decision to buy Exablocks. I mean, what was your initial thought? And, you know, um, you know, what conversations or actions, you know, really followed that initial thought? Did you have to scout out different companies? Did you know right away that Exablocks was it? What was really the thinking behind it so that other companies can learn from what you did as they go out or, or seek to potentially acquire other companies that could add value to the organization? The initial thoughts came clearly from talking and listening to our customers. You know, there was a problem that the customers were having. Storage was becoming far too complex. And the industry status quo approach, which is as your data grows, just add more storage, it just doesn't scale for most businesses. You know, the bigger your data gets also, the more confusing and the more at risk your most critical data was. So we saw the problem from the customer's perspective, and by working with customers, we started to develop, you know, this data analytics, this, this intelligent tiering of data. Exablock was a product that we saw our customers using mm-hmm. for primary data, for secondary data storage, oh. not combining the two. And it was, it was by truly watching customer data centers utilizing Exablock that we just said, look at the difference between this product compared to other data centers that weren't using Exablock. So it became a clear leader of choice. Now, of course, we went through the same thing, right? You never do an acquisition by just saying, I have to have that one company. Right. We did our benchmarking, right? We went out and, and talked to so many customers, Kim. 
Well, what is the culture of innovation inside Storage Flex, though? I mean, do you think that acquiring a company such as Exablux actually hurts your innovative culture within your organization? When your employees are like, hey, wait a minute, we could have built this ourselves. Yeah, we're, we're a, you know, we're, we depend on technology every day. So to best understand my views and the best ways to foster a culture of innovation, I really have to kind of explain the company culture, right? Our company culture has four attributes. Uh, number one, trust is given. An environment of trust is our foundation. Number two, everyone in the company and our partners have a right to challenge the process. No one function has the only point of view. Hmm. And we do that because we believe in continuous improvement. Uh, number three, we celebrate teamwork and collaboration, right? We know that good teams, good collaborative efforts harness speed. They force multiply success. And finally, we just do our business with the highest of ethics and integrity. So with those kind of as the company attributes or cultural attributes, you know, I can tell you that the importance of innovation and the culture of innovation starts with one plan, right? You know, without a plan, all roads get you there. So it's just a matter of who gets there first. Strategic plans are not limiters. They're liberators, right? They celebrate our uniqueness. They establish our uniqueness in some cases. And, they, you know, they're grounded on relevancy, too. They tell us what not to do, right? So I think what was really important about an innovative culture is to have a plan, right? Uh, an innovative culture really challenges the process. Again, a, a culture of taking risks, right? Everything we do is emulatable in technology, right? So we have to drive our own cannibalization. Failure is an option. Take risks. And I, I've often been quoted at saying, I, you know, to my employees and our partners, I, I pay you to make mistakes. I pay you not to repeat them, right? <laughs> That's a good. Never make the same mistake twice. You got it. Take calculated and, risks, but learn from them. And so I think that your acquisition of Exablox really represents number three in your overall company culture, which is about collaboration. And so how do you integrate the two different cultures of innovation between you and Exablox to create a more dynamic R&D force for future products to continue to stay on the cutting edge? Yeah. You know, I've had a career of building companies, um, some of them through only acquisitions, right, by just stitching together acquisitions. And so I can share with you some mistakes I've made. And you, have probably, about, you have about 30 seconds. Okay, probably about the biggest mistake is not understanding the culture of the company, mm. right? It's understated. Um, I think one of the most important things that we do as leaders and managers of acquisitions is ensure that cultures of the companies are consistent with your, your views. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the M&A transaction is destined to fail. Well, thank you so much, Matt Madera, CEO of StorageCraft. Congratulations on your big acquisition of Exablox. Wish you luck in the future. Now, coming up next, a technology entrepreneur turned paparazzi? Well, at least he's purchased a celebrity news site. We'll find out why this tech futurist has gone Hollywood next. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show. The People's Choice Awards topped Hollywood news this week. And in scouring the web, searching for coverage, I found a tech entrepreneur who i known for a few years actually on the red carpet. And I thought, well, that's odd. The last two communications I've had with said entrepreneur... We were talking about Circle Plus Play, an app he developed that empowered anyone to accept Bitcoin credit cards, which evolved into an app called Payable. And it's now available, I think, in about 23 countries. And his book, 
called Destiny, A Future Beyond Your Wildest Dreams, all about how fast technology is evolving and the future tech that will blow your mind. So, Natish, how in the world did you end up buying True Hollywood Talk? That's a very interesting story. It's probably as interesting as, you know, my life story. And, you know, first and foremost, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I've got all day. Um, I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, the funny thing is, it's like I've always had a passion for film and celebrity culture and all of that. But I knew I'd never make it out in Hollywood, right? So I came out here and I said, I'll do something different. I'll start a tech company. That'll give me the money and, you know, the power to, you know, really control my own destiny in Hollywood, if that made any sense. So I guess that's the whole roundabout way where I actually start a tech company, make a lot of money doing that, and you know, and like promote myself. And I said, you know, what's a better way to promote myself than to have my own, you know, Hollywood media empire? So that's how I ended up, you know, when this site uh, was available by its old owner, me and my friend said, we got to acquire this right away. We got to have our own brand because you know we're passionate self promoters. Were you actively looking for this type of thing? I mean, how did you fall upon the the fact that this site was for sale? Well, I mean, I was contributing uh, for a couple of different magazines and, you know, media outlets and everything. And I said, you know, um, we're we're just saying, you know, that'd be really cool if we could, you know, start our own website or have our own like domain. But, you know, it's very hard to get something that's really good. And then all of a sudden, my friend was actually, of all people, like from his uh, company, he was doing work for this website and the old owner was in a lot of debt. And he said, I'll just acquire this from him, you know, Mm. in, in return. And then, so we ended up saying, that's a great deal. And so we said, let's get in on this. And we, we, we acquired this, you know, we said we had to do this. So what sets you up as the right person to make this site successful, to become the next Elite Daily or maybe even the next TMZ? Well, I think what really sets True Hollywood uh, far apart from all those other sites are a lot of those large outlets, they, aren't, they don't have a lot of the access that we do. Like I get a lot of access to a lot of celebrity houses, a lot of, the news, a lot of the private parties. And I go there and I see no other outlets are there. They can't even come in there. I went to like Jimmy Kimmel's, you know, private party and there was like tons of celebrities there. And I got all these pictures and, you know, talking to a lot of people and, you know, I sneak a lot of video in there. How did you get this access? And then how do you think that it'll change though, now that they know you're covering them? Well, I mean, the good thing is I still have a lot of friends in there and a lot of those friends will give me a lot of the stuff. And, you know, we can have all these, all these contributors that kind of, you know, get us this access. So, I mean, I don't think that will change too much. And a lot of, a lot of these guys are my friends because, you know, it's like I, I produce films, you know, and, and all that. And I know a lot of, a lot of celebrities. You did? So. You produced films? Yeah, well, I produced um, this documentary I recently did called Save Her, and I'm working on, like, uh, two or three other films at the moment right now uh, with, with a couple of friends of mine. So, so because of that, I guess we get a lot of access to meet a lot of these celebrities and, and, and through that whole network, you know, it's just a big viral loop of just meeting people. So how are you applying your innovative prowess from tech to do something very different than ever before in terms of celebrity coverage? Well, it's very interesting because I think both of those, um, being a tech entrepreneur and also, you know, doing the media stuff, it's very similar because in both of them, you're just doing passionate self-promotion. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a tech company or an app, in my case, with the Circle Plus payments, I would have to promote it. And it would be so hard when you're competing against all these other people. But, you know, when, when you can reach uh, and market yourself with, with all these celebrities, that's something so unique and innovative, right? And so I, I think I apply that same skill of how I made my app viral, um, in, this, in the same world, I think I can do that with all these celebrities and promoting it on my website, you know, because I've, I've built an app that's in, you know, 25 countries, you know, doing hundreds of thousands of downloads. And I was saying I can do the same marketing formula that I use 
for that of you know using my promotions and you know going out and and meeting all these celebrities and having them endorse it. I think I can do that on a much higher level with this brand. I think it's going to go way further. I think we'll have probably one of the top 10 media sites in the world, you know, if not just in Hollywood. Well, so what's really your shtick? I mean, why would people go to you and your coverage and what's on that site versus going to a TMZ or one of the other gossip rags? Well, I think besides the content that they have, I think we're going to get a lot more exclusive content because I've got, I've got this great network of contributors that I'm adding to this site. But also, we're going to start throwing some really good parties. Oh, I like I, that. I, I think that's the real secret is if we can get a bunch of celebrities there and we put True Hollywood talk all over, I think the other media is going to have to cover us. I think we become the powerhouse and we actually become the party, if that makes any <laughs> sense. So I think that's where... And I think we're, and that's what we're going to start from this year. I think we want to do like an Emmys party. We're going to do like a Grammy party, you know, an Academy Award party for next year. I think we'll start becoming our own brand and our voice. And I think we'll actually draw people to us instead of us going out to them. And that will give us a lot more exclusive content. So how are you balancing all of your projects? You still have so much going on. Are you still working on Bitcoin and your payable app? I mean, you also have your documentary that's getting ready to come out. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot to do. And, you know, when I first undertook so many projects, I had a lot of free time. And I said, you know, I can do a lot of stuff because I was just doing the app and I have my developers running it. And then I was like, I got a lot of free time. And now it's like I'm working all the time, working 16 hours a day, managing three or four different projects, right? But the app is going really well. We're now in actually 25 countries. We just added two more countries, um, New Zealand and Mexico. So we're in 25 countries now. Um, we're actually looking at uh, doing a reverse IPO on the TSX, um, so actually getting the wow. company public pretty soon. And I think, you know, obviously we're going to need to do a lot of promotion. I think that's where having a media empire of our own kind of helps us. Where we don't have to, you know, get refused by anybody for any more stories for anything. So we just have our own voice. And now we can actually have all the celebrities and friends of ours promote stuff and, and nobody can turn us down for any coverage, right? Yeah, actually, I think there's a business in it, matchmaking service right there through your site for celebrities and tech companies that want celebrity endorsements. Brilliant. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. With the the film, you know, it's it's like when you're doing a documentary, it's like, who's going to watch your film unless you have a voice and you can promote it yourself? And I think having this media business basically lets us promote it. in in a much higher level than we could just on our own. Thank you so much. If you want to find out more, go to truehollywoodtalk.com. Yep, truehollywoodtalk.com, absolutely. Thank you so much, Natish Cannon, to follow your celebrity coverage. Go to truehollywoodtalk.com. This has been Kim McNicholas on Innovation. You can connect with Kim on Facebook, forward slash Kim McNicholas, or email kimmcnicholas at gmail.com. Be sure to join us again next Friday at 1 for Kim McNicholas on Innovation. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network.